Yeah, if ever get called in for questioning, it's, it's all on tape now. Well, hey, I want to thank you all for being here this week. This is week three of participation trophies. Um, I, was, I was very blessed last week just by the way that the Spirit moved among us. And, and I believe there's a lot of people that were set free last week just by the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, we're just thankful that, that we have a God that's alive and well. And He's still active today. He's still breaking chains today. Also, just another side note, we were singing Set of Fire. And I saw a meme one time that said uh, it was two circles and one said arsonist, and the other one said worship leader. And then right in the middle, it said, setting a fire that I can't control. <laughs> but yeah, I want to thank you for coming out once again. Uh, today, we're going to look at what it means to participate in the calling of Christ. Now, if you're wondering why we entitled this series Participation Trophies, it's because we are taking a deep look at what it truly means to participate in the Christian life. Now, I want to be clear that I'm not referring to what does it take for us to, to get to heaven? What is God requiring of, of us to get to heaven? That's not what we're referring to. This actually is taking a look at, for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, the question is, what does it mean to participate in the here and now in God's kingdom? And so we're looking at these different aspects, and today I want to focus on what it means to participate in the calling of Jesus Christ. And, you know, it's, it's one thing out on the soccer fields to, to call participation just showing up. If we want to say that that's what it means to participate is just to show up and that's all it takes to, to succeed, that, that's okay on the soccer field. But the problem is if we carry that mentality into the church, well, now we have an unbiblical standard. And so we're working from Philippians 3, 10 through 11. This is what the Apostle Paul said, and this is our key verse for this entire series. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And so what we see is Paul looks at the life of Christ, and his immediate response is not just commemoration, but also how can I participate in that? How can I truly follow the example of Christ in every area, even in his sufferings as well? And so that's the mentality that we want to begin to build in ourselves when we look at scriptures. How can we actually actively participate in the life of Jesus Christ and not just be spectators? So I want to start by, I know a couple weeks ago I shared that one of the things I picked up in, during pandemic land was I started running because I needed to get cardio. I needed to, I wasn't playing basketball anymore like I uh, used to because the gyms were shut down. So I, I began to run to get my, my cardio exercise. But another thing that I did, and I'm sure many of you may have picked up a new TV show or, or two that you started watching, um, I started watching cooking shows. And specifically, the one that I really latched onto was called The Chef Show, which is only on Netflix. Well, the reason I was drawn to this, because one of my favorite movies is a movie just called Chef. It's with Jon Favreau, and it's a story about him and his son. They start this food truck, and they travel around the United States, and it becomes this, this big ordeal. And so as I was going through Netflix, I saw the same branding of that movie, but it was in a, a show format. So I decided to watch it, and, and this is the backstory here. John Favreau, he produces a lot of the big Disney movies that we see, a lot of the Marvel movies like Avengers and stuff like that. And one day he was on the set of Avengers when that was being filmed, the first one, and this man named Roy Choi came in his food truck called Cody. 
And he pulled up outside the set, and a lot of the crew and the actors were getting this food. Now, Kogi's a famous food truck in L.A. So they're all getting the food, and John Favreau goes up there, he's getting the food, and he starts to talk to Roy Choi. And they get on the subject, and John says, I'm actually, gonna be, I'm actually producing a movie that I'm starring in called Chef, and it's going to be about this food truck, whatever. And he says, I need a guy to actually show me and train me what, you know, how to cook for the movie itself. And, and Roy Choi said, you know, a lot, of, a lot of chefs are not represented well in movies. The techniques they do and stuff like that are not, they're not accurate. So he said, I, I will, I'll commit to being the guy that trains you if you promise that you're going to do it the right way, if you do what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say. And so John Favreau, uh, he, he agreed to this and they went on, they made the movie. But here's the thing, John and Roy became really good friends. And part of it was because John Favreau really wanted to learn how to cook. And so that's where this TV show, The Chef Show, was birthed out of, is it's following John and Roy around. They go to different uh, famous places in LA and around the country, and they go to these kitchens and, and these famous chefs, and they actually join in on cooking some of these dishes. But as I'm watching this show, this is what stuck out to me. As they're going around to all these different restaurants, you have like Asian fusion here, you have a bakery here, you have like a traditional Jewish deli here. The similarities in the mindset of a chef are fascinating. It doesn't matter what they're making, they carry this similar foundation through, and it became so clear the more and more that I watched it. There was a shared foundation of culinary expertise that, that drove each person's craft. For instance, the way that they cut is very similar. The way that they, they hold the knife and they hold the vegetables as they're cutting is very similar regardless of what they're making, uh, whatever their end goal is. Their organization, here's a fun fact, most chefs are compulsive organizers. So they have all these different measurement systems and stuff and the way that they stack it up and organize it in the refrigerator. But we saw this regardless if it was baking or cooking. They're compulsive organizers. They all learn how to test if something is done cooking, if meat's ready or not. And they all have a respect for the final presentation of whatever they've made. For us, a plate is just getting it from the pan to the table. But for a chef, the plate is that final moment where they really get to present the the final product. My point is, I just noticed all these similarities that were carried through it. It didn't matter what they were cooking. And in the same way, the Bible lays out a shared calling of all God's people that we are called to participate in. And we can start to see it right at the baptism of Jesus so all the, all the gospel accounts, they give some account of Jesus' baptism. But today we're going to be reading from the gospel of Matthew because he includes an important detail that the other gospel writers did not include. I, I'm assuming that they, they believed it was just implied to the readers so they didn't put it in there. But fortunately for us, Matthew does put it in there for us. And when the gospels record the baptism of Jesus, it's always right at the beginning of the gospels. Now the reason that's significant is because Jesus was baptized when he was 30 years old. So for it to be at the beginning of the gospel, that means it came right after the birth of Jesus. So you have a 30-year gap. Luke's the only one that actually includes a story about Jesus when he was 12 years old. But anyways, the gospel writers go right from birth to baptism. Um, and the reason for this event, the reason why Jesus went to his baptism in the first place, was actually because of John the Baptist. Now, Jesus and John have very similar stories. They were both miraculous births. For John, it was a miraculous birth because his mother, Elizabeth, was barren. So an angel comes to his father, Zechariah, and says, you're going to have a kid. Now, Zechariah doesn't believe. 
he falls into unbelief, but nevertheless, John the Baptist is born. It's a miraculous birth. And then Mary is also visited by an angel and said, you're going to have a child. And of course, we know why that was a miraculous birth, because she was a virgin. And so you have two miraculous births, six months apart. John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus. But anyways, 30 years later, John the Baptist is in the wilderness. And the scripture says the word of the Lord comes to John the Baptist and he begins to go and preach a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And this was to prepare for the coming Messiah. Now, what's important to know is that John was calling all of Israel to turn back to God by purifying themselves once again and preparing themselves for the coming of their king. Now, many people showed up to this event. When he said, when he preached the baptism of repentance, many people showed up. Some people that John did not expect to show up came, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And John's actually really rude to them. He calls them broods of vipers, basically calling them murderers. Um, but then one person that John did expect to show up comes. And that's where we're going to turn to in Scripture. Let's look at Matthew 4, 13 through 17. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now this presents an interesting question for us. Jesus, the sinless one, responds to a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Why did Jesus receive a baptism that was for the forgiveness of sins? I mean, don't we all fundamentally believe that Jesus was the sinless one? So why would he respond to this baptism? Well, we can see a parallel situa situation with the pandemic. When things got really dicey back in March of 2020, entire countries went on lockdown. And they, they uh, mandated stay-at-home orders, essentially putting millions and millions, billions of people into quarantine. Now, billions of people did not have a viral infection. Quarantines by nature are to eradicate a viral infection, yet there was billions of people that were quarantining that did not have the virus. But they were joining the effort to eradicate a contagious disease, and therefore they did it themselves as part of that process. They did not have the contagious disease, but they quarantined because they were joining the effort to eradicate the contagious disease. And the same thing is happening with Jesus. He himself did not have sin, but he was joining the people of God that did have sin, and he was joining them in the process of what? Dealing with that sin. That's what Jesus came to do. Now, John tries to reverse the roles and be baptized by Jesus, but he explains that he must be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. And this is that little key verse that Matthew puts in there for us. Jesus was telling John that he came to join the collective Israel and their calling to be God's faithful people. John's baptism was essentially a call to all of Israel to return 
to faithfully following God. And they needed to be forgiven of their sins in order to do so. So Jesus, he wasn't going there to be forgiven of sins, but he was going there because he heard the call, come and faithfully follow Yahweh. And Jesus said, yeah, I'm responding to that call. I'm responding to that call. I'm going to go and join in on that. So Jesus ultimately was responding to the call, will you choose Yahweh and remain faithful to him and his purposes? And that brings me to the first point today is very simple. Everyone is called by God. Everyone is called by God. I think a lot of times we build our own categories of who is called by God. We say, well, Jesus, Jesus wasn't called by God because he was God. Therefore, he did not need to be called by God. So we build a category of, of calling for Jesus. Or we say the young ones have a better chance of being called because they have many years ahead of them. And therefore, they're more likely to be called by God because they have more time ahead of them. Or, or we say God only calls the ones who are really holy, you know, the ones that lift their hands in worship. Well, they definitely were called by God or they're definitely going to be called by God because, you know, they're, they're clearly really into to following him and worshiping him. Or we say God doesn't call sinners. Because, because they're naughty. And so God can't call them. God, he definitely can't you know, use them. So what we do is we create these categories without realizing it of what it means to be called by God and who can be called by God and how we are called by God. And these, these misconceptions, they come from a very narrow view of what it means to be called. We tend to corner it into this highly individualized commission from God that sometimes we think only comes once in a lifetime. It's this booming moment of, oh, I'm called by God to go here or to, to do this. And, and it just gets too narrow. And I think we miss a lot when we do that. Jesus himself, even though he was God in the flesh, still needed to hear and respond to the collective call of, of Israel. And the collective call of God is, will you faithfully follow me? Young and old, sinner and saint, the calling is still the same. Look at uh, Luke 9, 23. It says, whoever wants to be my disciples, what Jesus said, uh, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. This is not a once in a lifetime call. Jesus says daily you have to respond to that call. Will you follow me faithfully? And even in, uh, this is not going to be on the screen, I was just thinking about this in worship. In Deuteronomy 6, uh, this, uh, starting in verse 4, says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the, the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. The reason I bring that up is it was a daily practice for them to, they would wake up and they would recite that, love the Lord your God. And they would go to bed and they would recite that, love the Lord your God. Why? Because it's a constant reminder of the call of God. Will you faithfully follow me? Will you faithfully follow me? The collective calling is the foundation of every God follower, including Jesus himself. And this is where that cooking metaphor comes in. They, it may all come out in a different, unique way. One could be making Italian and one could be making Asian fusion. But the foundation, 
The foundation of what it takes to get there is all the same. Your temptations are going to be different than mine. Your enemies are going to be different than mine. Your valleys and your mountaintops and your giftings are going to be different than mine. But the calling, the foundation is still the same. Will you faithfully follow God? And when we start to dismantle this this narrow view of what it means to be called by God, we start to see how often God really is calling us. In fact, it will change the way that you approach Scripture. This is my second point here is, is if you can see the call, you can hear the call. If you can see the call, you can hear the call. I remember one of my favorite episodes in the Chef Show was an episode where they had uh, they had a, a guest actor on. I think it was Seth Rogen, and they were in John Favreau's kitchen and they were making fried chicken. And so they were. It was like all comfort food episodes, but they were making fried chicken. That was the the main main dish. And as they moved through the process, it was mainly Roy Choi was. This was his fried chicken recipe. They were preparing this chicken. Uh, he was. He dropped it in this huge uh, pot of boiling oil, and he pulls it out, and he puts a little more seasoning on it, and then he puts it in the oven and pulls it out and puts some finishing touches on it. And then, of course, all the guys just, they dig in and start eating the fried chicken. And, and I have to be honest, uh, there was never a moment when any of them turned to the camera and said, Garrett, you need to go make this fried chicken right now. Garrett, you're being called to go make this fried chicken. No, they, they never said that to the camera, believe me. But I can tell you this, every time I saw that fried chicken, it was as if it was calling out to me, Garrett, make me. Garrett, go make me right now. Buy the ingredients. It was calling out to me as I was watching it. And the the same thing happens if we train ourselves to approach the word of God with the mindset that God is always calling us then we can start to see it. And if we could see it, then we could hear it. Let me give you an example. We can see this right in the Ten Commandments itself. The first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Each commandment actually has a back-end revelation of who God is. So when he says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, he's also telling them, I am the one true God. And then there's also a call to that. Because I am the one true God, you should follow me, the one true God. Therefore, thou shalt have no other gods before me. There's a revelation and there's a calling in it. Look at this. Thou shalt not kill. The opposite of killing is not to not kill. The opposite of not killing is actually to give life. So God was saying, I am the God who gives life. So when I say thou shalt not kill, it's because I'm calling you to be like me. You need to be one who gives life in the world, not one who takes life. Thou shalt not commit adultery. What's the revelation? I am the God who is faithful. I am the God who will never leave you. Therefore, what's the call? The call is to be like me. I'm calling you to be faithful in your relationships. Reflect who I am. Do not bear false witness. I am the God of truth. I am the God of truth. I cannot lie. Therefore, I am calling you to be a people full of truth. Do you see what's happening here? If you can see the call, you can hear the call of God to reflect his image, to be like him, give life, be faithful, speak the truth, follow the one true God. If you can see the call, the call you can hear it. And I would say train yourself to ask this question while you read Scripture. Ask this question, how is he calling me to faithfully follow him through his word? 
Before you even start to read, just open it up and get yourself in the mindset, how is he faithfully, how is he calling me to faithfully follow him through his word? And it will change the way that you approach the word of God. You don't have to raise your hand from this, but if, if you're honest, you're like, you know, I, I, I read scripture, I try to do it, but sometimes it's just, it's hard. Sometimes it's, it's boring. I, I, can, I can ensure you this. If, if you start to approach Scripture with this question, it'll take on a, a, new, a, a new form of life. And it'll reinvigorate your time in Scripture when you... Because now you're, you're actually participating. You're opening up a conversation with God. It's not just this one way just reading the text. But now you're actually engaging in conversation because you're saying, God, what are you calling me to today? What are you calling me to today in the here and now? And it really just opens you up to hear the call of God in his scripture. And here's the beautiful thing. As you see the call, as you hear the call, as you respond to the call, God gives you the grace to walk in the call. And this is, I had to come back to the food bed before I couldn't help myself. But my third point here is this. Every call comes with a large side of grace. They're not going to ask you at the drive-thru. They're just going to give it to you, all right? This is not just an, an optional add-on. Anytime God calls you to something, the grace to do it is going to be there. Here's Romans 1.5. Look what Paul says. He says, Through him we received grace in apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Now, what's, what's important to look at with Paul is that he never separates his calling from the grace to complete it. He never separates his calling from the grace to complete it. That's why he said we received grace and apostleship. I received the competence that I needed to do what God called me to do, which was apostleship. Um, one of the biggest undertakings I've had as a youth pastor was about two, just over two years ago now, uh, a, couple, a couple of the youths came up to me and said, uh, we want to start a worship team. Now, this was music to my ears because that was one of the biggest needs that we had in the youth group at the time was we needed, we needed live worship. And so anytime kids come and, and they really are behind some of their passion about doing something, the answer is always yes. And then it's how can I help you? And so we started some times of practice and we would get together and begin to play. Now, it was challenging for a couple different reasons. The first one was this. These students were not only just learning how to lead worship, they were also learning their instruments at the same time. Like they had just started playing these instruments. So it was kind of a, a double, you know, they're trying to learn how to play and then trying to learn how to be in front of people at the same time. But they stuck with it. They remained faithful. Uh, we're very proud of them. Um, but also the other thing was... I, you know, I've, been, I've been a part of worship teams for a long time. I've been a, around a lot of worship circles. I went to Bethel in, in Redding, California, who authors a lot of the songs that we sing here. I've been around a lot of those circles. So I know what it should sound like, but here's where I fail. I don't have the technical language for it. So I can tell you that doesn't sound right, but I can't tell you why it doesn't sound right, and I can't tell you how to fix it. And so it wasn't uncommon that we'd be in, in practice and they would do something, and I'm like, hold on, that doesn't sound right. And they're like, all right, well, what do we do wrong? And I'm like, I have no idea, but I just know that that's not how that's supposed to sound. And so sometimes they would, they would try something new, and they would fix it. And other times, we just were never able to address it. 
That was until Dan would come in the room. Because Dan has the technical knowledge and he can say, this is specifically what you were doing wrong. This is specifically how you can fix it. And see, this was the problem that I think the law had was that the law was really good at saying, this is the standard and this is where you failed. But the law didn't really help with, this is how you can fix it. It could point out a problem, but it didn't actually give you the grace to address the problem. But you see, we have the Spirit of God. This is what Paul was so excited about in the book of Romans. As he said, that frustration is over now because now we have the grace of God. So now, not only do we have the call, but we actually have the grace to live up to the call. When you respond to the call to forgive, for instance, God's not going to say, look, I'm calling you to forgive this person. Then he's going to stand back and say, all right, let's see how you do. That's not what he does. He says, I'm calling you to forgive. And now he's saying, let me walk alongside you. Let me teach you. Let me equip you so that you can live up to what I've called you to do. That's because every call comes with a large side of grace to accomplish it. And let me tell you, this is, these are the times, these are the processes when godly character is really built up in us. It's when we, when we remain faithful to the call that God has placed on us. When we say yes, you know, God always tells you the end. He doesn't tell you the middle. You know, you always tell your kids we're going to Disney World. You don't tell them that to wake up at 2 a.m. on Monday to get in the car for 18 hours. You tell them where you're going. You tell them, you know, we have this hotel room. You get them all excited about it. So then they're not thinking about what it's actually going to take to get them there. And that's often what happens is that God's like, look, I'm calling you to do this thing. And he doesn't tell you about the middle part because he, got, he has to get the vision set up first so that you can make it through that process. But look, it's that, it's that faithfulness in the process that builds up godly character within us and it's more valuable than gold. Now here's the last thing for today. Once you've heard the call, once you've responded to it, once you've received the grace to walk it out, you have to keep going. You have to keep going. And this is what Peter tells us. Now, this is a long chunk of, of scriptures. Follow along with me here. This is in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, 3 through 11. This is what Peter tells us. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by your evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Peter speaks to this, this concept of keep going, and he warns the Christians to never allow a gap in their practicing of the foundational calls of each Christ follower, which, which he listed out there. Um, in fact, if you continue to grow in these things, 
you will never question if I still got it. You know, the only person that says, let me see if I still got it, it's, it's the 45-year-old guy or, or woman who was a college basketball star but hasn't touched a basketball in 25 years. And so they pick up the basketball, and what's the first thing they do? They, they probably grunt first as they're trying to stand up because their muscles are tight. But then the next thing is then, let's see if I still got it. Let's see if I still got it. Because they haven't done it in so long, they're not confident if they actually still have the ability to do it. But Peter is saying this, if you never stop, then you'll never wonder if I still got it. If you stay in season, the question will never exist, do I still have the ability to do this? Peter's saying, you need to keep going. You need to keep moving forward and keep growing. And I, I want to point out this one thing. Right at the end of it, uh, Peter says to make sure your calling, uh, he says, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Now, I did a little bit of research in this, and I, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert in Greek, but I do want to propose something to you here, is that the, I believe the original Greek actually uh, is a little bit stronger on make sure. And so I propose that actually a, a, another translation of this, another reading of this is he's saying, make sure you're calling and election. Now, just a quick note on the word uh, election. This requires a lot more building out. But um, again, election is not just God's choosing you to be saved and to go to heaven. Paul himself even said, I was chosen by God to go and call the Gentiles to the faith. The only reason why God would choose you is so he could use you to go and spread the call to others. All right. So God does not just pick people to then go to heaven. If God has chosen you, it's because he has a purpose for you. It does not just end right there. All right. That was just a quick note about that. But the reason why I say make sure you're calling an election, the Greek word for sure here is comparable to our English word of basis. And the root word of that is foot. Now, this is what I want to propose to you. I believe that what Peter is really telling us, he lists off all these things and he's saying, make the calling of God the foundation of your life. Make it your basis. And then I believe what he's saying is he lists off all these things in, in repeating or, or in, in a ascending order and moving forward because it's like footsteps. You need to add one to the other to keep moving forward. You see, the foundation is the call of God to faithfully follow Him and His purposes every day of your life. And the way that we do this is by taking the footstep of faithfulness and adding on goodness and adding on self-control and mutual affection. And we continue to move forward and move forward and move forward in the calling of God. And this is how we stay productive in our faith. And if, if you're questioning, Garrett, I don't know if you're, if you're right about this. I want to give two little things to kind of back it up. Right afterwards, Paul or Peter says, for if you do these things, he says, you will never stumble. Why would he use the metaphor of feet right after this? And then on top of that, he says, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? A welcome is because you are walking into something and you are being welcomed there. I believe that Peter is making it very clear to us. The foundation, the calling to follow God every day of your life is the foundation, the basis of your life. 
And every step you take, every step of love and faithfulness that you take, you are moving forward. You are moving forward and staying productive in the calling of God. Church, will you pray with me right now? I, I, I just felt as I was preparing this that many of us may have a foundation that is not the calling of God in our lives. Maybe we've made a foundation out of our careers. Maybe we've made a foundation out of, out of different things. And the footsteps that we take are not the footsteps that, that Peter's referring to here. And I just want to extend a moment. If you would bow your heads, we're going to enter into prayer. I just want to extend a moment to you. To just like John the Baptist said, let's, let's, let's turn back to God here. Let's turn back to God here. And, and the act of repentance is not always because of some grave, major sin that you have in your life. No, repentance is just turning around. Sometimes it's turning from good to best. It's not always turning from disastrous sin back to God. Sometimes it's just a little bit of a correction that you need to make. Maybe it's just uh, changing your heart posture. Maybe it's just recognizing, I've been a little bit distracted by by my job lately or by some of my fears lately. And so I'm just going to turn back to God. Repentance is not always this big evil thing. And so right now, Father, we just, we just ask, we ask that you reveal any faulty foundations that we have set our feet upon. Foundations that are actually uh, leading us to stumble because they are, they are broken they are uneven in nature. Therefore, we cannot actually get our balance. We cannot actually walk straight on these foundations because they are faulty from the get-go. So, Father, we, we, just, we forsake these foundations. We push these foundations away. And we decide right now that we are going to place our feet on the foundation of following you every day of our lives. Father, we just thank you right now that the grace is already there. The grace is already there to walk that call out. The grace is already there to remain faithful to you as long as we just say yes. And Father, I pray over each one here today. I ask that as they wake up in the morning, they will hear the call of the Father. Will you faithfully follow me today? Whether you're going to the grocery store or going to work or going to hang out with friends, Will you faithfully follow me today? Each morning as they wake, the question is the same. Will you faithfully follow me today? We just thank you for your love, your mercy, and your kindness. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Church, I want to thank you for coming out today. And I pray that you would go in the blessing of Christ and that you would find your footing on his firm foundation. Be blessed as you go.